0: Walking in wisdom this morning. Have you guys enjoyed uh, reading through Proverbs? How many of you have been? Yeah, we are. I think we're we read this morning the second half of Proverbs 25. If you've been with us, I think if I remember right, it was like day 41 or 42 in our readings. And um, if you haven't jumped on, you can. There's one more week left of that. Um, We've been going through uh, Proverbs um, in this series. Uh, called Walking in Wisdom in a Wild World, and as we've been doing that, we've been spending some time, uh, many of us, uh, in the book of Proverbs. It's been cool to see the website spike with all of the visits to the website, you guys reading Proverbs. I've I've been loving to see that, Um, and I've really enjoyed just spending kind of a concentrated time um, just reading through um, and thank you guys for walking with me because it says walk with the wise and you become wise, right? <laughs> so um, early on, uh, I was as I was facilitating teams to lead summer camps in our district, part of, that was part of my job in my next gen role uh, for the Gateway District of Four Square Churches. Um, I found that there was a leadership position right away that I, that I needed to fill at one of our largest facilities up in Golden, Colorado. Anybody been to Golden? Beautiful area? Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was an old historic camp that Foursquare um, used to own called Wonderview. It was a camp that uh, both Deanna and I had attended and led. We actually took our youth group there a couple different times early on um, when we were here. And so we had, we had led and attended, been at different levels all in there before, and I had worked my way through um, several interviews as the guy that has to hire the person that directs that camp, and I wasn't too happy with what was coming my way, I wasn't finding the person. That's a big job, it's a year-round job to, to promote and direct and, and be a camp and to build that team, it's a big deal. And so Deanna mentioned to me, as she was a medical school student at the time, that uh, maybe she could do it. And so we lived, we had just moved two states away. We were in Minnesota at the time, living in the Duluth um, area. And um, so I kind of just shrugged it off. I mean, she's a full-time medical school student. I didn't think that this was a a conversation that was gonna go anywhere. I shrugged it off. I said, yeah, maybe. And then I kept on looking for somebody else. And um, a couple of months down the road, I still hadn't found anybody. And what I was what I was showing everybody was the picture in Proverbs of the fool who claims to be wise, right? But the but the wise is the person who who's humble enough to admit I have no idea. Somebody, please help me. And here she was saying, I want to help you. And I was just kind of shrugging it off. And so it just took me a little bit longer than it should have. But after a while, I realized, you know what? My life, my wife leads camps like a gangster. We had had been leading camps um, together for several years. I knew that. I'd led several camps alongside her for many years. She's literally a camp director veteran who is offering to do this um, and so maybe I should ask her to consider (laughs) and so while Deanna was a medical school student and many of you know what that involves that's that's you're you're in it when you're in medical school I asked her again and she said yes and um, this wasn't an easy situation it was a camp that needed some course redirection it was some camp that needed some some health, uh, it, it needed to, we had some people that had um, left the camp or, or were considering leading, so it needed some help, but she directed that year, and the response was overwhelming. Deanna turned that camp around and pointed it back in the, in the right direction. In fact, I still remember one camper uh, comment, one camper's comment really stuck out to me. They came up to me afterwards, and they said, I've never been to a camp before where I felt like I was being mothered and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> they, they felt like they, that, that particular camper. And then I heard it through several um, other campers and leaders that said there was, it was just like a, you know, a mother that was taking care of us that week. And even though there were some course shifts in the camp culture, um, they felt like they, they were being genuinely cared for and pastored that week. So Deanna knocked it out of the park. But I've since realized wisdom was the humility to say in that moment and others, I don't know, somebody please help me. (laughs) And so why do I bring that up? Because that's where we've been. We've been on this journey through the book of Proverbs and Proverbs is written as we've been saying to give us wisdom and competency in the complexities of life, to show us how to navigate life well. And so we've said it, it's been written primarily for the young, this book. The book is presented as it's written to the innocent, to the naive, To the young person right at the front end of their career, the front end of their life, the the ones that are about to get behind the wheel to to, to some really powerful, you know, forces in life, sexuality, we talked about, money, controlling um, their mouth, we talked about last week, figuring out their life calling, and you, you're going to have forces in your control that you can guide, and you can either do great damage, or you can get a hold of wisdom and do great good, and uh, you can either be constructive or destructive with these forces we need someone to give us wisdom on how to navigate these situations well um, skill with regards to living right and so we're closing out this book now and this whole book for 30 and a half chapters has been presented primarily as a dad imparting wisdom to the son He's looking at his boy. You know, I'm about to launch you out into the world. The book is for all kinds of people, but it applies to all kinds of walk of life. But it's presented primarily as a dad talking to his young son and saying, Look, this is the best that I got for you. This is what I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you wisdom to help you make good choices. You're you're about to launch out in the world, hard things are gonna come at you, and you're either gonna steer into calamity or you're gonna steer into opportunity pending your ability to navigate the complexities of life well and so the skill in the art of living so he's he's doing what everyone in here hopes that they could do for a son or a daughter you sit down and say you know before you go out in the world let me tell you that the, the world is a dangerous place you have to have those conversations right and let me tell you how to navigate this well all of us wish that we had a mentor like that. Or if you had a dad like that or mom like that, you're grateful. And the older you get, the more grateful you become many times that he or she was imparting wisdom to you. But even if you didn't get that, we get it here. We get it in the book of Proverbs that our father in heaven wants to impart to us wisdom. And so what's great about this book is it's not just a dad saying this. It's a dad saying, this is what our heavenly Father says. This is what God says, that God made the world. God knows how the world works and therefore he knows how to work well within it. And so this book says if you understand how God made the world, you can navigate that world well. And that's what the whole book has been. That's what it's done for us. He's been telling his son, hey, understand how God made the world and then work well within it. And one of the metaphors he gives his son at the beginning is wisdom as a woman, right? Go figure. He's saying some wisdom is like a lady. Lady wisdom. Go sit at her feet. Go, go to her house. Listen to her as she speaks. Learn from her. Woo her. Get her next to you. You get near to her, son. Learn from lady wisdom. That's the first few chapters of Proverbs, right? And it's interesting That he starts the book there, but now as we get to the end of the book of Proverbs in chapter 31, this hazy metaphor kind of solidifies into the reality of a real woman here. And he says, son, I want you to marry a woman that also has sat at the feet of Lady Wisdom. So to seek wisdom, to learn it, and then as you get older and you get to the place and it becomes time to pair off and get married, marry a a lady who is also set at the feet of wisdom and, and, and looks like her. You want to get together with somebody that wants to pursue life well, right? The same way that you do. And you want someone that throughout the difficulties of life, you can trust will fight well alongside you. That's actually the metaphor. So what's fascinating about this poem is that it's written in a structure of what they call Warrior poems, this last chapter of Proverbs, um, hero poems, that literally it says that the woman is an excellent woman, that uh, that word excellent is the word hayil, and it means strength or valor. It's used, it was used of warriors. So this is a warrior poem as we're reading it this morning, and what he's trying to tell his son is, look, life is hard. Life is a battle. Life can be difficult, son. And if you're going to charge out into the difficulties of life, you want someone, you want to partner with someone that you know has your back, right? You want to make sure that whoever you link up with has your back and is not going to stab you in the back. Is basically where the conversation goes. So let me say that again. I think it it may be important enough um, for some of us to be writing that part down. As we enter into the difficulties of life, As we do that, you want to partner up with somebody who has your back and isn't going to stab you in the back, right? That when life gets hard and it's back to back, us against the world, you want to make sure that you have someone that's not going to sink a knife in back there. You know that I I like the way that they handle their money, that they they didn't undermine your family, the way that they use their words, all the stuff we've been talking about. They're not throwing you under the bus to all your friends because listen, no one can hurt you like your spouse, Or or a good friend, right? Those words can be so damaging. And so their decisions can be so painful. You want to marry someone that you trust, the way they handle money, the way they they handle their sexuality, all the stuff that we've been talking about, the way they handle their words, that that, that they bring life to you, um, they, they don't hurt you. He's telling the son, link yourself up with somebody who's chasing after wisdom just as hard as you are. That's the text. So what's interesting about this is that he presents this picture of this lady, and there were a lot of poems about women in the ancient Near East, and what's fascinating is much of the poems in the cultures around this culture, their poems about women, sound a lot like the songs about women in our culture today. It's fascinating. You read, a bunch of these poems from the ancient east from this time period they sound a lot like modern pop songs. You know, you know how they talk about women about their their virtues, their intelligence and you know, they're 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 good that they're doing for nonprofits and the the community, right? Is that what the pop songs are about? No. Okay, thank you. <laughs> what what are they about? Usually they're about um, you know, your rear and how good you are at backing it up <laughs> and, you know, how it looks at various angles, right? I'm just being real this morning. I'm, I, you know, and, and so that's the world that we live in. And what's weird is that the world that these guys lived in, like the, the ancient paleographers or, you know, whatever kind of scientists they are, is they're uncovering these ancient writings. They're they're opening them up. And what it's saying is, like, she makes the booty. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You know, what is this? That's literally... The same kind of poems that they were digging up and that they are finding. So it hasn't changed much. The presentation has always been a woman is useful to the degree that she is sexual. That's an old story and it's a popular story now. Now, is the Bible against sex? We had this, this whole conversation a, a few weeks ago. No, the dad tells the son earlier, uh, be intoxicated with the love of the wife of your youth, right? He's saying, son, you and your wife should have a blast be adventurous. Bedtime should be great. It should be amazing. I won't go into that because we already talked about that. I'm surprised I didn't get any calls from the radio station. I haven't, <laughs> but go back and listen to it online if you missed it. That week in Proverbs was a doozy. But um, he, what he says is you should have an adventurous, fun partner with a, within the a covenant relationship. But she should also be your best friend, and uh, it's the same person that you share your heart and your life with. So it's it's that partner in life that you raise children together with, you handle money together and you advance together, that your gifts together have this synergy, right? That you accomplish more in the world as a result of your union than you would have by yourself is the idea. That's what he's presenting, a more fully presented version of a woman than what the culture gives us. He points to the woman who, who gets stuff done, they're a blessing to the community. He presents a strong woman, a high yield, heroic lady. That, that's who you want to marry, that's what you want. So now let me clarify a few more things before we jump in this morning, because I know some of you, you've grown up in the church, um, like myself, and I feel like as soon as people hear Proverbs 31, woman, they're like, hold on for just a second, and then you like get the biggest eye roll that you've ever seen, you know, (laughs) they roll it up, they go, here we go again, Uh, you're going to present this impossible standard. And uh, so look, the the whole book of Proverbs that we've been reading has been setting the standard very high. And, and for all people, though, for all of us, and particularly for the son who's, you know, been in this conversation, because remember, it's the dad that's talking to his son. And so it's the same standard all the way out, all the way through the book of Proverbs. And it's all the same principles. They're just kind of being distilled down now in this picture in, in Proverbs 31. And there's really nothing new in here that we've seen in all of the rest of Proverbs. It's all the principles that have been championed to men and to women all throughout the book and now is distilled as he's telling his son, telling them again to his son. So not only do you pursue wisdom, son, marry someone that pursued along with you. That's what's happening here. So the chapter is presenting, be with somebody who's on the same path that you are. And yet other people hear this and go, Sean, you know, you read, you, you read this chapter and well, the woman's doing all the stuff. What's the guy supposed to do? Anybody ever read the chapter before and thought that? And so you, you know what I mean? The lady is is out there and she's we'll, we'll read it in just a second if you have it she's cranking out and the, and the guy is just sitting there no that's not the picture that's presented all this stuff that she's doing the guy's supposed to do too he's supposed to work can i get an amen ladies <laughs> he's supposed to not be a sluggard right he's supposed to help raise the kids the the book is presented as a dad teaching the children so this isn't showing you like a woman's work over or against men's work, it's not a comparison. There, this is showing you the principles now lived out as you're pursuing a spouse, and so they apply both to men and women. Do you see that this morning? Yes. Okay. And and others of you, you're looking at this and you go, "Well, the standard itself is impossible. You're not supposed to be exactly her, though. I mean, uh, she's running in the textile industry." Right, And so it's not where you go, I'm not gonna fashion in the soil industry. Or, you know, the soil around here isn't conducive to, to vineyards. You're not supposed to be her exactly. But you're supposed to extract the principles that she embodies and say, I want to live according to those, right? And I want to marry somebody who's living according to those principles, according to those things, right? So you want to be a warrior in this world? An overcomer, you want to marry someone who will fight well right alongside you. That's what the dad is saying. So I, I'm going to teach... Uh, along the the scriptures, kind of how it lays it out this morning, presenting it as a lady. But all these principles transfer to both men and women. Did you hear that this morning? Does that make sense? Okay. So have I set us up good enough? We're going to jump in then. So this story basically breaks down into four parts. There's a short intro and then three main sections. You'll see them on the, the back side in your, in your bulletin if you're taking notes. The intro, we've basically covered. It's verses 10 through 12. Let's stand and read it together this morning, if you would, kind of as our opening text. I'll read it. You can follow along silently this morning. As you see in verse 10, it says, an excellent wife who can find, a high-yield woman, right? A heroic woman like this is rare. She is far more precious than jewels you got to search for a woman like this right and then verse 11 says the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain I love that word gain is actually the the word for spoil here it's a military word remember it's a military poem and it's saying man you want to link up with someone that they're going to go out into the world together and you're going to overcome obstacles together and you'll reap this you'll reap the spoils then you want to marry that's who you want to marry and um Verse 12 really gets to the heart of what we should be looking for. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. We want to hear directly from you. God, uh, my prayer uh, is, is very many... Many of the time, Lord, we, we, we want to come in here and we don't want to be the same as a result because we've met with you. Um, we know we, we, we love you this morning, but more so than that, you love us. And this is your word to us this morning. So put it deep down in our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. So, you want to marry someone that at the very, at every point along the continuum of your life, that person is doing good to you. Not just someone who is red hot at the beginning and then fades, but that at every station of life, you want someone who has character that keeps doing good to you. Your whole life through, you want someone that you trust, that at the end of the day, no matter what, I know they're doing good to me, not harm when they're off to somewhere else. I don't have to worry about if they're talking bad about me when they're off on a work trip, right? I don't have to worry about whether they're, where they're spending their nights, Uh, The way they handle their money, I don't need to worry about that. I know it's in the best interest of our whole family that they are somebody that I can trust. They use their money, their words, their friendship. I can trust them. Son, you want to marry someone that you get the joy of knowing you are safe in their arms. That's what you want. Now, how do you find somebody like that? What are they like? Well, that's what these next sessions kind of unpack this morning. So in the second section, verses 13 through 18, it talks about her productivity, her productivity. She is productive so that this woman, this lady gets stuff done. And so you see it in verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and she works with willing hands. So she's industrious, right? You see it in the verbs. She seeks, she works. She's not being forced. She's, she's not a woman that you have to beg to get after something. She's got an internal drive to take raw materials and turn them into something better For the sake of her community, that's what she's doing. And for her, it happens to be in textiles. So she's going to take wool and she's going to take flax. And she can sew it together in a way that later you'll see um, she's making all kinds of clothing. She's got a fashion line that she's putting out. And so I'm taking raw materials and I'm making them into something better for the sake of the community. That's what she does. And uh, that is not a uniquely female task, is it? (laughs) That's Genesis 1. When we go back to the beginning of the the, the whole scriptures that God spoke into the chaos of Genesis 1, and what did he do? He formed the world uh, that we could flourish in, and then when he made the man and woman, what did he say to them? He told them to cultivate it. He told them to to work it. He says, take the raw materials that I've given you here in this place and manipulate it so that it could be more fruitful right? Take it and, and multiply. You, you, you work with the raw materials to create fruit that will benefit the, the society, right? That's what he told Adam to do. That's what he told Eve to do. That's what human beings are meant to do, Proverbs is telling us. I give you these raw materials, exert your energy on it to make it uh, something better for the sake of us. That's what Jesus said. He, Jesus says this in the New Testament. He says, make a profit. I'm going to give you a talent, and I don't want you to bury it. I want you to invest it to make more for the sake of us, right? And so it's a Christian principle for everybody. We are an industrious people. If we were to drop you off in a desert island, what would happen? We'd come back and pick you up in a year. What would we see? You know, what what would be the result of just you Working with the raw materials, would it be, you know, all Robinson Crusoe and, you know, building a big treehouse with this complex uh, pulley system, you know, next to the library, which is not far from the hot tub, you know, or would you just be sitting in the dirt crying and talking to a volleyball, right? What's the picture there? What's going to happen to you if you just, if, we, if I just give you the raw materials? Are you someone that can make the world better as a result of your presence in it? That's what you want to look for in someone that you're going to link your life up with. Watch them. You know, if, if, is the guy's group of friends better as a result of his presence in it? Or, or worse, is, is the environment that she's in improving over time or not? You know, what's your roommate situation like? Is the world better because of their presence in it? In their work world, in their church world, in the church community, in the living world, is the world better? The whole world tends toward chaos. You want to marry someone who is a creator, who's making beauty of it all, beauty out of the dirt. That's who you want to marry. Okay, so look, she's not just hard at work. She's not just grinding it out. You see in verse 14, she's not just industrious. She's also creative. The next blank on your note, she's creative. It says, uh, she is like the ships of the merchant and she brings her food from afar. So back then, here's here's where this this is coming from. Back then, there wasn't a lot of extensive travel. And so you tend to live in the same place and you eat the same food and you, you sell to the same people who wear the same clothes always. So if a ship came into the harbor from a land that's far off, that's exciting because novelty is fun, new is fun. And so ships are coming through and you're looking at it. What kind of fabric is this? Ooh, you know, it's velvet. I haven't seen that in a while, you know. What's this? A papaya. Fantastic. I haven't eaten one of those in ages. And so you bring in something that brings some spice to life that makes it exciting. It's not boring. It brings energy. That's what is saying that this lady does. She's creative to keep things interesting. She cares about what she's bringing. And it's not just the basic necessities. We're, we're like this when we go to restaurants, right? You, just, you don't just go to the ones where the food is edible. <laughs> you know, we want to go to the one where the food is fixed up a little bit. It's got some maybe fancy to it. You know, can you at least make it look a little bit interesting in here with the ambiance, right? And so we like it when people make the dining experience creative because we value creativity intrinsically so that we can walk into a room and say man all the details were thought of in this place and it's like they knew I was coming it's like they wanted to create a space just for me that creativity is often the uh, the way to our hearts and so this lady isn't boring she's not settling for the minimum she's creative you want that in a church right you want that in a society you want that in the culture that you live in you want it in your friendships and you want it in you so industrious and creative and not just for her, it says in verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. I think the translation there is kind of a bummer because this reads, provides food, but the literal word that they use is pray, prey. P-R-E-Y, prey. That she's up in the middle of the night hunting for prey. I, I love that because she's not just going to the corner shop, she's a lioness, right? She, this woman's dangerous. She's maybe got a little crazy in her, and, and, and she's not just waiting around. She's not life's victim. She's out there getting it. She's out there on the hunt, getting some food. She's out there getting her prey before the sun comes up, men, right? But notice it's not a presentation of the woman here. It says, you know, where, where, where it's like, you go get yours, honey, you go do what you want. This is the kind of language that we hear in our culture, right? Uh, uh, live your life, your dreams, you do it your way, you build up you, it's all about you. Uh, it's not the selfishness that culture tries to sell, sell us. That's not very encouraging or inspirational to anybody. What happens is she goes and she works hard and she gets hers for the sake of her household and a portion for her maiden's household. So the maidens. Are the young women that she probably maybe it could be the uh, thing that she hired them to work for her in the textile company, or um, it could be a situation that was also common. There's young women around that come from you know her ministry in the community or leadership in the community. That was common too. That a household would have um, young people around, and this lady is sacrificial. She's willing to inconvenience herself. I'll get up while it is still night, while everybody's still in bed, so I can bring something good to you. to, to people that I can invest in and make it better for them. So she's industrious, she's creative, but it doesn't just terminate on her. It's for the benefit of those around her. She is sacrificial so that others might rise. Andy Stanley, a pastor in um, Atlanta, uh, said it this way, the, the quality of your life is measured by the amount of it that you give away. That's what makes this woman a real heroic person. She's not just going for hers, right? Think about every heroic movie that you watch. A hero is somebody that's willing to sacrifice their life for the sake of people, right? That's what, that's what makes them a hero, that they take their power, their energy, their resources, whatever they can do, and they expand it and they sacrifice themselves so that the community benefits. That's a hero. So, Pastor Deanna, my wife, my co-my co-lead pastor here at Destiny. For those of you that don't know, um, she's always been this kind of a person. Um, for those of you that think that. Um, I'm some kind of hero uh, for adopting. You can just stop right there because I was not, my mind was not there when we first got married. It was all Deanna. Her mother um, had, had grown up in foster care and she was already leaning that way. Um, she was, she's always had a heart for the downtrodden though. She's, she's a pastor's pastor, she loves people. And we have many times um, because of Deanna's lead, we've helped out um, friends, family, um, people in the community when they've been down on their luck, um, opened up their, our house to them. Um, fed them meals. Uh, we've had people stay with us for a long time sometimes. And um, we help them out of uh, tough, si- tough situations all from her lead. Most of the time that kind of stuff is overwhelming to me. Uh, but um, that's why it's good to have a partner that, uh, that can, can, can carry your weaknesses, right? So I have my good days too, but not like she does. And so when we were first talking about um, adoption and foster care after having um, done respite for a while, uh, we, we started with respite care, which is kind of emergency care. And um, there, there was one night that Deanna told me to come over to the computer, and we had set up in our living room at the time, um, and she asked me to read the profiles of, of these two sisters. They were uh, two little girls um, from the Pine Ridge Reservation, seven and eight years old at the time. Um, it's an eight, older age that rarely gets adopted, usually when, when kids... When families are looking for adoption, they're looking for the, the younger ones, the infants. And so the older they get, the less chance that they have. Um, I read, I read the, the profiles and I didn't think much of it. I thought, you know, they're cute girls, so that's good, I'll pray for them, you know, kind of did my, my, my little head nod and kind of went on my day. Um, then a few days later, I discovered their profiles up on the computer screen again. And then uh, again, maybe a week later, there were their profiles up on the computer screen again. And each time I, I was looking at them. But that time, that third time when I sat down, I read the profile. Something happened inside of me. It was like a switch flipped. It's like my God eyes opened up. Um, and God turned my heart uh, to see them the way that, that uh, you know, he did. And it, I turned around with tears in my eyes after reading through the profiles. Um, empathy, love, compassion, all of that stuff was all of a sudden filling me where it hadn't been before. And Deanna, as I turned around I had tears in my eyes, she looked at me and she simply said, I've been waiting for God to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting. I, I've, I've been waiting because she knew. So they became our daughters just a, a few short months later. And uh, this, is, this is a picture of one of our first outings with them after the adoption. That's little Bella in the middle. And yeah, that's something to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Bella was two years old. Uh, Autumn and Cynthia were seven and eight there. And it changed the course of history for those two girls, right? Um, changed our lives for the better too. And, and, and when I just looked at it and thought, you know, that seems... Because this is where we can be sometimes in our busyness or our selfishness or just who we are. I can look at that and say, that just seems like somebody else's problem, like somebody else's work, right? I can read the profile and say a little prayer. Um, but she, Deanna, she not only... Prepared food for our family, but she did the work and fed our family, others outside of the family, and she got us some new family along the way, too. That's a high yield. That's a strong lady. That's a strong woman. Someone who says, I'm going to step forward into the world. I'm not just going to be a victim when life deals me hard things, but I'm a lioness. And I'm going to get up early in the morning and I'm going to fight, not just for the benefit of me, but for the sake of others. That's a hero. Do you see that? I've got a hero in my life. So, It's interesting, in verses 16 through 18, the chapter continues to talk about um, her provision, but it escalates here. There's a repetition of words that happens. There's a repetition of the words hands and hands, uh, merchant and merchandise, night and night. in the original language. There's a rhythm to the poetry, but there's also kind of this escalation that's happening, that this woman isn't just sacrificial and industrious. In verse 16, it says she considers a field and she buys it, with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. So this, this woman is prudent or wise and shrewd. The fruit of her hands, what is that? Um, it's the profit from her textile industry, right? So that when she makes this profit off of her industry, she doesn't just spend it on, you know, whatever she wants. She starts to invest it and she gets into the vine-growing business. And so she's expanding the operation. She's a learner. She's considering the field, it says in the text. Before she buys it, she's crunching the numbers. She's examining the angles before she executes the plan. This is the woman who's trying to figure out how to keep advancing, and so she keeps on learning. How do I anticipate, and how do I move forward? The woman that we're reading about is a hard worker. It says she's sharp. She's making good decisions, and so she plants a vineyard, and I love it. Verse 17, it says... She dresses herself. Now, some of you go, is that really an admirable quality? I thought that was something that all of us do. It's a human being thing, like y'all got dressed, lady. No. It says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arm strong. There's another tragedy of the translation here. It says dresses herself, but dresses herself here is literally the phrase girds up her loins, where you hear a lot of times in scripture, right? You've heard that, girds up her loins, which sounds a little inappropriate, (laughs) so let me explain. This is actually a statement all through the Bible, gird up your loins, is what men would say to other men when they're going to war, because what would happen, culturally, they were wearing long robes in the time, and if you ever tried to run in your robe, it's tricky, And so he can't really do it. And so what would happen is when it's time to go to war, you would grab the bottom of your robe and you would hike it up and you would kind of hitch it maybe in your belt so your legs are free so you could run now. And and so you knew it was time for action when somebody said, gird up your loins. It's, man, I've got to loosen up because I'm going to have to run, right? And so I'm coming after it right now. And so what it's saying about the lady in this chapter here is that the world's a dangerous place, but it says she girds up her loins with strength and she makes her arms strong. That means that they maybe aren't necessarily strong to begin with. She makes her arms strong, right? It means that she keeps working to make herself strong. It means that this woman has grit and perseverance is what it comes down to. You want to marry both a man or a woman, someone who makes themselves strong, right? Right? That when life knocks you down, you get back up. That life can be hard. I don't know everything, but I will never stop when the difficulty of life comes. I will gird up my loins and I will fight. And I will keep fighting until I become strong enough to overcome. That's the kind of person that you want to find. Someone with grit and perseverance. And, and, And frankly, this is one of the reasons I personally like. I know this is controversial now for the Star Wars fans out there but I liked the new Star Wars movies. I love that they have a woman, Rey, at the center that exemplifies this. And she, she exemplifies this strength. She's a high-yield, heroic woman. It's nice to have a female hero to point to that has some clothes on, right? And, and, her, and her whole thing is not trying to just rise up as a woman by stepping on man or something like that. It's not this heroic bitterness but she's overcoming and she's rising. She's been dealt a hard hand when you start hearing the whole story, but she never stops. She keeps growing. She keeps learning. And the community around her then as a result is rising, right? Why? Because she has grit. She has perseverance. And you, you want somebody like that. That's the kind of person you want to marry because life will knock us down. And all of us aren't strong enough to handle it all of the time, are we? We can get knocked down, but you want somebody that will stand up, dust themselves off, gird up their loins, <laughs> and get ready to, to make their arms strong. Even when it's tough, they're going to get up and work towards it, persevere, and move forward. So they make the world a better place as a result of their perseverance in it. Does that make sense? She's productive. She gets things done. She has resolve. And I love it. Verse 18, because she has that, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. So she's worked so hard in the last seven verses. When she gets to verse 18, it says she looks around at her goods, at her merchandise, and she's like, you know what? This is pretty awesome. This is pretty great. She's looking around. She's she's kind of taking an overview now, and she gets that euphoria of knowing that hard work pays off. That, that, a, that a woman of valor knows when you put in good work, you get good outcomes. She understands what wisdom has been teaching us. Good input equals good outcomes. Most of the time, that's how life works. That's how it's supposed to work. And she feels that. She gets the peace of knowing it's a job well done. And so all of us love this when this happens when we're watching sporting events. This is, you know, when we cheer the loudest, you know, during the Olympics. Um, When when you see Simone Biles, anybody remember this? And you you know that the dear girl has never tasted a cookie in her life, (laughs) like ever. She, she doesn't even know what a snow cone looks like. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's been kept from her. She's missed out on so much. And it's all been, you know, you know flipping and, and push-ups and tumbles. And she's been doing flips and working so hard. And then you see her at the Olympics flipping around on the mat. And she gets to the end and she lands on her feet. And, and you see that look on her face and, and, she, and we rise up and we call her blessed, right? We're like, you go girl, because we're like, we're crying tears because we're like celebrating with her after all of that hard work and she's made it. So you see the look of joy on her face and you, you're enjoying it with her. Anybody remember watching that historic? Um, okay, there's, yeah. And so there's that euphoria there. There's, there's the benefit of a job well done. And that's what I'm saying. You want somebody that knows there's hard work, and then gets to pull back and enjoy it and have peace. So, on your notes, that it's not all work all the time. She gets to pull up and enjoy the world that she's made. You deserve the benefits and you enjoy it and you can and reap the fruits, in other words. So, and then it says her lamp does not go out, out at night to finish that. I know some of you, you read that and you're like, you know. her her lamp doesn't go out at night. When does she sleep? Because we just told you that she gets up early in the morning, now her lamp doesn't go out at night too. I mean, and now she's going to stay up after the light. Her husband's probably getting eight hours of sleep, right? And you know, that studies show that eight hours are more conducive, right? We're seeing, looking at this, and the longer that we look at that, we tend to read that and say, oh man, she stays up longer, you know, after the night goes out. So, interesting thing. If you read different literature around this time, in this culture, Staying up late at night uh, past the sun isn't necessarily a virtue. What's fascinating, though, is back then, of course, you didn't have electricity. And so you didn't flip a light on. How do you keep the lights on at night? What you do is you had to buy oil. And so you bought oil and you put it in your lamp and then you could light them. That's how you did it. And so it's interesting, the sayings back then when you wanted to talk about Uh, you know, somebody is poor, kind of the slang, the way that you would say it, you'd say, yeah, they slept in the dark because they, they sleep at sundown. Why? Because they can't afford to buy the oil to light the lamps. And what they're saying is that they don't have the money to buy the oil. So what they're saying here is not necessarily that she stays up way past sundown. What they're saying here is her hard work has paid off. You get that? So her hard work has paid off. And so now in the darkest days they've got some oil to spare and I, and it's talking about here not her working harder into the night it's her enjoying the fruits of her labor her family's got oil so when the darkness comes they're still okay because there's a light burning you see that because of what she's done and so she's industrious she's productive but i love in verse 19 it talks about her provision she provides that's this next section that we're stepping into. So here's the interesting thing. We've been beating this horse to death. A, a woman that's productive and industrious, she gets stuff done. Yeah, but, but, but here's where we ask the question, unto what end? You can, you can be all choleric and get all the stuff done, but unto what end is where it's coming to? That, that where some of us struggle with working so hard, I've, I've, I've got this degree, I've got this job, but what's it all for? What's the point? That's where it's coming to right here, and we need to ask that. And what's interesting about this, this lady that's pictured here is that she's productive, but what's the goal? That's where this transition happens in verse 19 and 20. It says in verse 19, she puts her hand to the distaff, And her hands hold the spindle. Those are different tools that she needs in her industry. She needed to work that she's industrious. But then look, verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. That play on words is on purpose. She grips the tools that she needs for industry, but then she opens her hands to the needy. She's industrious, but she's also generous. She's industrious, but she's also generous. Oh, for a church like that, right? Because a lot of times churches default, uh, tend to fall one way or another, you know, that, that we're industrious and we work hard and, and you know, we, we build something up and, and it's good and we forget about the people who are struggling in the world. Or if you look, you know, statistically around the country, um, the states that are most generous are usually the ones with people with the lowest income. Isn't that interesting? The poor know the sufferings of the poor, though, right? And so what you see here is a lady that's brought both together. I will be industrious enough to have a successful business, but I will never forget those who have devastating circumstances and struggle. So I know how to grip, and I know how to release. Industrious and generous. That's the kind of the church that we want to be, too. That as, as, as we um, gather uh, finances for the kingdom, that we release it into ministry to those that are hurting, Right? We we took the offering, uh, the missions offering uh, a few weeks ago. We sowed about $1,500 into our homeless community um, just from that that offering that, that morning. That's you guys that are doing that. That's you. Amen. That we work hard to make this place great, but a place for everybody. That's what we're supposed to be in the world. People who work hard for the sake of others so that the community might flourish. Right, One of the most inspirational women I've ever met is, is a lady by the name of Connie Kusenza. I met her when I was at staff uh, down at Pine Valley Church in Bayfield, Colorado. And I remember when I first met Connie, um, she, was, she very quickly became like a, a second mom to me. Right, it was right after I arrived in Bayfield in 2015. That's when my mom passed away. And so she became such an encouragement to me um, in my life and in, in, in my ministry at that time. And anyhow, I, I learned of the story of how we had this amazing after-school program. Um, and, and I learned of the story of how it all started. Um, I was part of managing this program at the time. That's a role I had stepped into there. We had about 120 kids um, in, a, in a community of about 1,800 that, in the Bayfield area that, um, that, uh, that we were ministering to every Wednesday. And so it started with her. And she she saw that there were so many low-income families in our community, people that were struggling, that she just decided by herself and her husband that she, she started to make meals in her house. And so she invited teens over for food and Bible study in her house after school. And it grew so quickly so fast so much so that they didn't have room in their house for long and you know they they had they had teenagers corner to corner coming in for food and bible and jesus and so she approached the pastor about hosting it at the church and it grew into this kindergarten through 12th family community meal that we hosted we brought on a full-time kitchen cook down there and the most amazing after-school program i've ever seen and uh, we ended up uh, through the growth of that over the course of, I think it uh, must have been about 14 years by the time I came in on the picture, we were serving around 250 people every single week. And um, so this free home-cooked meal for a suggested donation of $1. And uh, if you didn't have the dollar, it was okay. And, 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 um, and so... She was going to make sure that she was serving those who were struggling among her. You know, I will not sit by while, while my neighborhood struggles. She got involved. And I got to reap the fruit of that. Our youth ministry, when I stepped into that program, I had never seen anything like this before. And in my ministry, I'm, 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 I'm not uh, an evangelist. Uh, uh, I, I can walk in that gift, but I had never seen 120 teenagers came to Christ in those two years that I was there. And um, I had never seen anything like it. I mean, I, I see the needs of my community. This, is, this, this was Connie. I see the needs of my community. I'm gonna meet it and I'm gonna make sure that my life sees other people flourish. And that's what happened. The world benefits because she was there. The community benefits because she was there. I love that. You see in verse 21, she is not afraid of snow, which again, you're like, uh, it doesn't sound real, real heroic, neither am I, you know. But the point is, she's not afraid of snow for her household For all her household are clothed in scarlet. So what does that mean? It's that she's not just sacrificial, she's thoughtful. So what it means here on on your notes is she anticipates their needs and she meets them. Winter's not here But she knows it'll come and people will be cold. So she's thinking ahead and she's not a sluggard. You know, what are the needs of my people? And how do I make sure that when their need hits, I'm already there with a solution? So we want to be that kind of people that when the fabric of society is breaking, we are already rushing in before people even know that we're coming. Amen? We want to come at you and make sure that when people are suffering, we're going, we're going to clothe them in scarlet. We're not going to just give you some hand-me-down rags. We're going to give you some good stuff. And you see in verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So she's not just a total martyr either. You know, she's getting some purple in the mix, and there's nothing wrong with that. She's extravagant. That's the point of it. Purple at the time was, was, was kind of a lavish thing, that she's not doing shoddy work, that the scarlet purple was of high value because it's hard to come by, and you can only use certain fabrics for that kind of dye. That's when this woman puts her hand to something that she's going to do it well, and she's going to work hard to ensure that it's done right. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates. Because she's dignified, her husband is also getting respect in the community. Um, I, like, I like to put it this way. She's a thermostat, not a thermometer. She's a culture changer. A Therm- th- thermometer adjusts the temp- to the temperature in the room, right? But a thermostat changes it. And this woman, she comes into the community like, I'm not just going to adjust to the community where everybody around here gossips. She doesn't act like that. She doesn't do that. The heroic woman says, no, I don't care what these people talk like. I'm going to be someone who speaks life. Everyone at work might be cutting corners. That's not how I roll. That's not how heroes do it. And so that's the kind of person you want, a thermostat, not a thermometer. We change things, and the community feels it. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. By the end, she's hooking merchants up. The lady's getting out there, right? Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She isn't gonna worry about anything. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teachings of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Everyone is raised up because she's there, right? And here's the last section. She's productive to provide and then she's praiseworthy. She's praiseworthy. And you see that. She gets the praise. In verse 28, her children rise up. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And they better, right? She rose up before the sun did. So kids, you better call your mom blessed, right? Her kids also, uh, her husband also, I'm sorry. And he praises her. And he says, many women have come, uh, have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. C.S. Lewis said, if we do not admire what is praiseworthy, we shall be stupid, insensible, and great losers. Don't you just love that quote? You need to get in the habit of praising what is praiseworthy or else you would become a loser. <laughs> so um, let me talk as we're kind of rounding this out. Let me talk to the men in the room. Um, this woman is, an industri- is industrious and she works hard. And what happens at the end? The man acknowledges it, right? The man acknowledges it and celebrates her, right? As he should, as a man in the culture should. If the primary way that we as a culture intersect with women is by looking at their bodies online, you know, through images and movies, all that kind of stuff, and it's just using of, of women Uh, Physically, sexually, that needs to die. Amen. (laughs) That needs to go away. God has made a fully formed person in front of us. And you need to get around some healthy environments and meet healthy women who are doing some amazing things like we've just read about. And then we need to celebrate and encourage them not to try to get something back from them. But just because they're worthy of praise. We need to be a culture that's good at building each other up, good at speaking praise. It's, it's right to praise people when they do a, do a job well done, right? And so you see that here, and he doesn't hold it back either. For men, we need to work on the muscle of praising the women around us. Can I get an amen again? <laughs> and let's start by doing it with people that you're not trying to hit on. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Just do it. Encourage because it's the right thing to do. Now, um, let me close with this. Derek, if you want to come up, you can. Just put up that last slide. It's fine. So I want to turn the corner here at the end and say this. At the end of the day, what are we supposed to walk out of here with after reading this? A list of rules after reading through all of Proverbs? Because that can feel pretty overwhelming. And that's not what I want to end with when we wrap up Proverbs. And interestingly, that that's not where the poem ends either. That's not how the book of Proverbs ends. Because there's this beautiful symmetry when you read the, the whole book of Proverbs. And what's, it, it ends with what's praiseworthy about this woman is this is a woman who fears the Lord. It's a woman to be praised, right? And that's what the book starts with. Remember back in Proverbs chapter one, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And not the beginning like it's the first thing and then you move on, beginning like a foundation. This is the foundation of what a wise person is. It's not a sense of, set of principles, it's a person. It's not a set, a set of principles. The foundation of wisdom, is a per, it's found in a person. So what, what you need at the end of the day here is not a list of rules. You need a Lord um, that you know and that you trust. And that's what makes her great. Those who walk among the wise become wise. What made her great is not that she had a list of rules that she's checking off, it's that she had a Lord that she fears. And the, the more she got to know God, she understands how the world works, and that's how she works well within. Her, right? Because she knows Him. And that's what the whole scripture presents to us. Not rules, not a set of principles, but a person a savior to love us. And if you look at the woman in the New Testament, that's what changed them, not principles, but a person. You saw the woman at the well. Is she industrious? Sure. She's out there and she's at the well and she's she's drawing water and Jesus comes to her and she's working hard, but he says, hey, I know your relationships. They've, you've, they've been devastating. You've been through multiple marriages and now you're living with this guy. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't give her a list of rules to follow after that. If you knew me, if you knew who was talking to you, he says, I would give you living water that would well up out of your heart and into eternal life. He was like, I'm not here to shame you because of the bad decisions that you've made. I'm, I'm not here to shame you for not living up to any of those standards. I'm, I'm not uh, here to give you a list of rules to try to be better, to earn the smile of God. I am here to provide for you. I'm not trying to get from you I'm here to give you water that your soul needs and my supply will never end and it's gonna change you and if you drink from me you're gonna walk into something new I'm here to give you life it's a picture of water baptism that we're doing today right the old man going down the new person coming up and what happens as she put her puts her faith in Jesus she goes back to her community and what happens she leads the community to Jesus She becomes a hero of that community. How? Not because she had it all figured out, but because she knew him. Let's stand. At the end of the day here, I hope you don't walk out, uh, you know, feeling uh, beat up by a list of rules. Because some people read Proverbs and that's kind of the end result. It's like, oh man, there's just so much to try to attain to. We all have places to improve. But the Bible is not, let me say this, the Bible is not a self-help book. It's not the bible what it is in its entirety is the presentation of a hero a true hero the one who disadvantaged himself for our advantage right the one who sacrificed himself so that we might live the one who while we did not love him he loved us unto death The one who was thoughtful enough to provide for for our salvation before we were even born. Trust the hero of the story. If you want to be heroic, we rest on the foundations of a true hero. Jesus is our hope today that we would know and trust him. Amen. So Father God, we've been spending a lot of time. This is our seventh week uh, walking on this uh, wisdom journey, God. But the answer is always found in you. God, the, the answer as presented in your word and your love letter to us is who you are. So God, fill us in you. God, as we look to be, you know, the, as we look for the person in our life to partner with that we see in Proverbs 31, God, that her strength is found in you. And so God, that it, um, we first seek out who you are. And so this morning, God, we come to you. We come to you as our source, source of life, our source of wisdom, our source of hope, God, and so we thank you, we thank you for all the wisdom that you give us as we journey, all the the ways that you help us to to spend our money and our relationships, all the things that we've unpacked and talked about through this whole thing that you've given us um, wise words to say, God, but it all comes back to who you are, and so God, our prayer this morning is just give us more of you, and as we walk, God, with you, you will fill us up. and You will help us. You will speak to us and help us to make those turns when we need to on the path of wisdom. And it's a wild and crazy journey, but it's better because you're on it with us. And God, you, we know that you're faithful to speak to us. So if you're here this morning um, and that's your desire, let's just ask him. We want more of you, God. That's, that's what we need. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Him, um, we're interested in having a conversation with you too this morning because there is there is nobody like Jesus who is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. Um, that will be more faithful over a friend, and that will help you to walk um, in wisdom. So, if that's you this morning, um, the invitation is here. Uh, Holy Spirit, I just pray that uh, you would. Give us the wisdom, Lord, this morning. God, give us the boldness to say yes to who you are. So I'm going to ask all of you in the room today to pray this prayer with me. Um, uh, With nobody looking around first, with nobody looking around, every eye closed, is there anybody that would would like to say the prayer the first time? I'd just like to agree with you this morning. Raise up your hand up high in the air, and we'll agree this prayer with you this morning. What I like to do um, is I want to pray this prayer with everybody in this room, because a lot of times people those not feel comfortable with raising their hands. Let's pray this prayer together this morning. Father God, I give you my life. All of me, I surrender my life for yours. You've already given me all of yours. I give my life back to you. I surrender all of it. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the price you pay. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.